Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Nikki Nellis, live in the gorgeous Line Hotel on Full Service Radio with Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. Although, um, it's just the foodie because the Beast is... He's not here, which is totally okay with me because I have a very special guest and I got her all to myself and I feel very lucky. Um, I really don't feel like she needs much of an introduction, but she is um, a complete and total burst of joy on the food and restaurant scene. Carla Hall, you may know her from Top Chef, Top Chef All-Stars, The Chew, a variety of books, and just an all-around personality. Uh, She most recently... Um, I just found out, uh, interviewed Michelle Obama, uh, which I cannot wait to hear about. Uh, and she also was the head of the Big Apple Circus. Didn't you like, didn't you? I was the ringmaster. You were the ringmaster. Well, for the beginning, in the beginning, <laughs> I was the ringmaster. I mean, of all the places in all the world, of all the things to be doing, to find out you were going to be a ringmaster. I mean, obviously, knowing you, I feel like, of course, she's a ringmaster. She can do anything. But was that fun it was so much fun and as a matter of fact i wanted to do other things i wanted to work with the clowns i wanted to do so you felt like they were limiting you i know i was like no i I love being the ringmaster but can i do some of the other stuff so i'm gonna call them i'm gonna you're gonna see me again at the big apple Apple circus Circus. yes i mean i don't want to get off track because i feel like we have so much to talk about i mean the reason why carla is here today uh other than being a wonderful person and a good friend, is that she has a new book out called Soul Food. Um, and I wish you could see a picture of it because it just totally encapsulates her uh, pure energy and sort of gratefulness and gratitude. Like it all comes oozing out of you and it certainly comes out of the cover of the book. Thank and the you. book is really beautiful and fabulous. And it was a, it's a real, a really researched book. And it's a, a deep uh, look into the history of uh, African-American foodways. And I really want to get into that, but I sort of want to start at, I want to start with Michelle Obama, but instead we're going to start at the beginning. I want to start, for people who just know you as Carla Hall, you had some very humble beginnings. I did. I I was the lunch lady. I mean, it's a way, way back mm-hmm. before I even went to culinary school and I went to l'Academy de Cuisine. I started my lunch delivery service here in Washington, D.C., around the Kennedy Street area, mm-hmm. uh, Kennedy and Fifth. And I worked every single day mm-hmm. delivering sandwiches and soups and biscuits to the businesses along that corridor. But can we even go back just a little bit further? Oh, yeah. What brought you there? I know you grew up in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Nashville. And But did you grow up... I know there's a, there's a lot of references to your granny. Yes. And I mean, you have a really wonderful relationship with your parents. And obviously, food was an incredible part of your growing up. But where... Because you went to Howard. What was the switch? Where did you all of a sudden say, I mean, this is, this is everything I want to do. I want food to be not just my passion, but my profession. I mean... 
I wanted to be an actress. Mm-hmm. I still do, actually. Hello? I think you're, well, you're kind of, uh, right. you're kind of straddling <laughs> both worlds. No, that's true. I, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to go to Boston University. Mm-hmm. They were going to put me in the liberal arts school. And I was like, wait, is that a consolation prize? <laughs> right. And um, so I decided to go to Howard because mm-hmm. that's where my sister was going. And I majored in accounting because I liked my accounting teacher. And so... Like, 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 or? <laughs> no, I really, I liked accounting. I just thought she was a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was like, okay, if I'm not going to do theater, let me just take the next best thing. It wasn't even the next best thing that I thought about. Mm-hmm. My life is a series of, okay, I'll do that now. Okay, I'll do that now. I, I really, and I tell people, I don't really think a lot about my my changes and moves. And, and actually, Michelle Obama would call it in her book, Swerves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like, okay, my sister's going there. I'm going to major in accounting. And then I ended up working with Price Waterhouse. Um, I must say that while I was at Howard, I did fashion shows. So it was a great way for me to meet people when I was in Tampa, Florida, working for Price Waterhouse to do fashion shows. But now, what, I understand you took, you were, you had a modeling career. I did it I, after I left. Uh, Tampa, Florida. Right. I went to Paris because I hated my job mm-hmm. in accounting. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided to just go to Paris with one telephone number and 10 words of French. Right. And, you know, I think that's model. the way to do it. So you actually had a modeling career. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting is in your bio, it says, you know, you've had the, uh, like a two-year modeling career and you ate your way you know, yeah. through Paris. And I'm like, okay, modeling and eating. <laughs> it's an oxymoron. Not something that goes hand in hand <laughs> normally. Yeah. But so where was it in that modeling, your opportunities? Where was food playing? How it, was the role? Every Sunday, there was this woman named Elaine Evans who was from Memphis, Tennessee, and she lived in Paris. And she would have these Sunday brunches. And in hindsight, when I think about those Sunday brunches, they were very much like my grandmother's Sunday suppers. Mm -hmm. And so um, the models would get together. And a lot of them were uh, African-American. And they would cook. I keep saying we would, but I wasn't cooking. Mm -hmm. They would cook. And they were making things that sort of satisfied that um, home, being homesick. Mm -hmm. Macaroni and cheese, buffalo wings. If we could get the turnip tops, we would have turnip greens. And the girls would be talking about, well, my mother makes her macaroni and cheese like this. Well, my mother makes it like this. And I realized I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly had no idea. I was 20-something, and I'd been going to you know, my grandmother's house every Sunday all my life. And I'm like, I... You didn't cook it or nay. You didn't nope, learn. Nope, not at all. Hmm. I was like, call me when it's ready. <laughs> you know, and so... Even now, when I think about back to my grandmother's food, it's all from food memory. Mm-hmm. And so going to culinary school and being able to dissect in my head what those flavors were and then put them on a plate. So that's how I create. But, uh, mm-hmm. but so, well, at culinary school, so you were, you're classically French trained because the academy taught all right. the French techniques. It's sort of the antithesis of the cooking you grew up with. Do you know what I mean? Because yes. with the mother sauces and all those techniques, whereas I feel like, you know, Southern food in general and soul food, um, you know, it's a lot more about flavors and textures in a way that f- 
fine French cooking, the mother sauces, all that kind of stuff, they don't go hand in hand. Correct. But when you think about um, preserving and making pickles, when you think about, let's say, if you're cooking greens or you're making a stew and it is covered with that fat that is preserving that food, mm-hmm. what is duck confit? Right. That's what I was just thinking. Sure. It's right. the same thing. So when you think there, there, there are techniques, but maybe they're not the fine... The classics. The classics that you would think of French food. And I never really put them together. Actually... Macaroni and cheese um, would be a bechamel sauce. Right. You know, um, we wouldn't put breadcrumbs on it. We would just bake it and then put an egg in it. Mm-hmm. But there, you can make hmm. probably some jumps to um, certain techniques. And even, speaking of macaroni and cheese, that was James Hemmings, who was um, Jefferson's chef, mm-hmm. who was trained in France. And so that macaroni and tea, not tea, that macaroni and cheese dish actually came from France. from France. Fascinating. So if you trace back that macaroni and cheese coming back, you know, it wasn't the way that we're looking at it now. Sure. But the pasta was made and then there was this milk sauce and then it sort of, it gradually changed. And it has become part of the African-American experience in soul food. But there's nothing about that dish that actually sets well with our, our bodies and Africa. Right. Oh, of course. Right. Well, let's talk about how you wound up learning your grandmother's recipes. Mm-hmm. Where did where was where was that education? Did you after you were modeling in France did you call her and say I think I need to learn something here? I did, I I actually started when I was in France and I I was like, "Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Let mm-hmm. me buy cookbooks. Let me go to the English bookstore and buy cookbooks." And so I started getting those books and then just playing and going to the grocery sort store. Sort of the reverse Julia Child. You know, she goes over there and learns French cooking and creates a cookbook. Right. (laughs) Right. I got a cookbook and I'm like, let me learn to cook. Right. Um, And so I started cooking for the people who were allowing me to surf on their couches. Mm -hmm. So it was to say thank you. And and then I just continued to do that. I'm like, oh, I really love this because I love puzzles too. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was taking a recipe and dissecting what was on the pages. It's a mathematician in you, right? Yes. You like to put stuff together. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That, that, continues to be my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came back here, my mother got sick, I came back to the States. And then I continued to play and to cook and to cook for friends. And um, I, I was cooking for my sister's baby shower, a friend couldn't come the next day, I brought her some food. And she introduced me as her friend who had a business. Interesting, you know, and so that's how that all rolled out on Kennedy Street, and I did that for five years. So did you have like a, like a food truck? What did you have? Because it's had, before food trucks were allowed. It was before food trucks were allowed. I had a basket. It started out as a picnic basket, okay. and then it got larger, and then I would have bassinets filled with food, mm-hmm. and then I bought... And were a, you going into offices mm-hmm. and just selling sandwiches? Offices, floral shops, um hair salons, barber shops, and I was just going in and out. And I'm going to ask a question because this is before the union kitchens and mess halls and incubator spaces where these businesses yeah. can be created. Where were you making everything? I was cooking out of my sister's house. It was highly illegal. No, 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 I know. I only say that because <laughs> around the same time, I was baking out of my house for area restaurants. <sighs> 
And I mean, it was highly illegal, but nobody cared. No, nobody cared. So They're, when they said it was home cooked, they weren't lying. It right. just wasn't made in their home. That's, I mean, right, it wasn't made right. in the restaurant. That's exactly. All. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, that's when I started making biscuits every day. I would have at least five different cakes from pound cake to quick breads. Mm. I would have salads. And at the time, I was telling people, I'm going to feed this African-American community and show you how you can have great food without beef or pork. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of turkey, a lot of vegetarian things. Was there a pushback? No. People no. were like, okay, they were They were okay. Happy. I would give the biscuits away. I would have biscuits with, buttermilk biscuits with smoked turkey. And I said, I'm going to give you your first one. Yum. I mean, you know, and right. then, you know. And then it went from there. Yeah. Okay, so you have this business. What in your head said... Where did you swerve at this point? You're like, now I need actual training or I need to understand the numbers to create a business because you did start a catering business. I started a catering business, but at that point it was, I had the practical experience. Now I wanted to understand the theory of Mm -hmm. what I was doing. And so after five years and at 30, I went to culinary school. Okay. Mm -hmm. And L'Academy de Cuisine did have, unfortunately, um, because it's no longer in existence, but it had a fabulous program. It was amazing. And um, Francois, of course, started it, but um, his brother... Patrice? Pa- no. No, Patrice is his wife. But there's the other, Patrice Olivier. Oh, my God. I can't... Hold on. We'll get back to it. Yeah. Okay. But somebody inspired you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you leave L'Academy, and then what? I left the academy and then I worked at the Henley Park Hotel. Oh my God. That's where I did my internship. Mm-hmm. And then I actually was promoted to sous chef right at the end of my internship. Amazing. And, um, now, did you want to work in a restaurant? Were you thinking this is, this is my path? Okay. Nikki, I was not thinking about a path. I okay. honestly, I, I know everybody, I did not set goals. I have never set goals in my entire life. Well, I'm totally for that. Um, I only had an intention mm-hmm. and I really wanted to be happy in whatever I did. And my grandmother said, it is your job to be happy, not to be rich. And so if I was happy, I just kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also afraid of failing. Of course. Anything. Mm-hmm. So when I was in accounting, I was like, oh my gosh, this is sort of really stressful. I'm going to leave, you know, because I didn't want to fail. When I had quit my job and now I'm in culinary school and my grandmother paid for it, I was like, I don't want to disappoint her. Of course. I, I have to make this into something. So I mm-hmm. kept going because I also didn't have a regular job that my friends whom I was going to college with and that I had met in the accounting firm, they had a real job. So that also pushed and propelled me. Well, I think it's really hard when you're an entrepreneur and you don't realize you're an entrepreneur um, and everybody is sort of in a box, right? I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. These are jobs. And when you're an entrepreneur, people, they kind of... They kind of look at you like, I don't understand what you're doing. Right. Right? Right. There's no, there's no, because they can't relate because they have a nine to five, which doesn't exist anymore. But you know what I mean? They Mm -hmm. have a nine to five job. They get a salary. They get health benefits. Everything you're doing is your hustle. It's completely up to you. That's exactly it. And I was even called a hustler and I was just like, wait, what? Because for oh, you me- better like wear that on your jacket. <laughs> like you need to like bedazzle that on the back of your jean coat and wear it with pride. You know, yeah, yeah. it's important. I think in given where you are now, it shows where it gets you, mm-hmm. you know? All right. So Henley park, you get this gig, but you don't keep it. 
Right. I don't keep it. Um, another opportunity came up to go to the State Plaza, still in the same family. Mm-hmm. And I went there as chef. In hindsight, I probably should have stayed, you know, longer working with um, uh, chef, chef Thompson. But I didn't. I left. I went to the State Plaza. Um, and then from there, I went to the Washington Club. Mm-hmm. And, um, and after that, I started catering. Right. Mm-hmm. So... We're catering. You're catering events around town. Mm-hmm. How does Top Chef come knocking on your door? Um, I was catering, and then it was Catherine Newell Smith who oh, was, um, you I know, because were you a dom? I was a dom already. Okay, I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. Yeah, I was a dom already, and mm-hmm. Catherine Newell Smith had suggested. Let me, me just back up for yeah. a second for people who don't know. La Dom Descaffier is a, a female group in the D.C. area, but it does have a national presence, and it is comprised of women in the food profession. So you don't have to be a chef, per se. You Mm -hmm. can be a GM, you can be a PR person, you can be a writer, but it is um, an incredible group that does um, really good work and really is a a terrific incubator for uh, women, uh, especially in D.C., along with women chefs and restaurateurs. They're two really amazing groups. Yeah, so... Top Chef was looking for more women mm-hmm. to get involved. And so they contacted Catherine Noel Smith, who at the time was our president. And she was also, I, I feel like, the president of the international, um, Le Dame de Scoffier International. Mm-hmm. And so she suggested myself and Riss Lacasse. Hmm. And um, that, so I didn't know this was happening. Right. On my side... One day I came into work, it was a Thursday, and I had a catering job, and my sous chef said, I had a dream, you were on Top Chef. And um, a couple of weeks before that... Okay, that's weird. Right? Yeah, that's really weird. This is also how my life works. Okay. A couple of weeks before that, my husband was watching this show called Top Chef, and I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know about this, and and I'm just like... Tired it's like from foreshadowing, catering. right? It's like you could see if it was a movie, you'd be like, "Oh, I see where this is yes, going." Yes, and then another friend, right before my sous chef said, "I had a dream you were on Top Chef." She said, "Carla, you should audition for Top Chef." So when I got this call, um, you know, are you interested in being on Top Chef? I thought it was a crank call. I thought somebody was punking me, and I was like. <laughs> You're not punking me. I'm not calling you. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, it's on my cell phone, which back then I checked my messages. It was also on my <laughs> office phone and it was on my uh, mm-hmm. home phone. Mm-hmm. So, and I noticed that it was an LA number. So I was like, oh, well, maybe this is real. So took the call, did all these things. You know, I got the application. I needed um, references. And so I called Catherine Newell Smith and said, would you give me a reference? I got this call. I'm doing this thing for Top Chef. She's like, of course, silly. I told them to call you. I'm like, really? Oh, my God. That's amazing. I had never asked for asked for ever a reference or anything for, from her. That's insane. Mm-hmm. So it totally changes your your life at this point, yes. which you probably didn't know going in. Correct. But did you feel while you were on Top Chef, I mean, the stress looked... Real. Uh, real, yeah. It looked really real. But did you feel that you had to be somebody on the show as a way of standing? Like, did you watch it before and say, okay, so there's always a jerk and there's always the loudmouth and there's always... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no. Did you feel like it. you had to be a personality in some way? Or Not at all. Or did you just go on and be yourself? I mean, I can't imagine you doing it any other way, but I'm just wondering, like, 
if you had a plan? And I know you say you don't have a plan, but I'm just curious how you went in there. Well, you have to realize this was also in the early days of Top Chef. Right. What Um, season was it again? It was season five. Five, So I think Top Chef was starting to gain popularity and traction at season four. Mm -hmm. That was Stephanie Izard, Richard Blaze. So... You know, we did yeah, your really, season and then the season after, like it, those four, five, and six, right? With like the big, because six was wasn't that uh, the Voltaggio brothers, right? That was the Voltaggio. And Jen, Car- Jen Carroll, mm-hmm. and then the season after. When was Mike? Mike was Mike was seven, right? Because okay. he went. I feel like Mike went from seven straight to eight. Yeah, you might be right. I think so. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Okay. Um. So we didn't really. I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. what this was and, and how it impact my life. I did it because I found that it would have been a personal challenge for me mm-hmm. as a chef. I also put, um, when, I, when I was doing the, the process of applying and they called me back, I'm like, okay, this is fun. You know, just going through that process of being mm-hmm. chosen. I never thought that they would have called me. And I remember I was working and I was in the kitchen and... Um, and then they said, are you somewhere where you can talk? And I, I literally turned and went to a corner in front of in the entire kitchen and turned my back on everybody. And I'm in a corner, like I'm in timeout. And I'm like, yes, I'm somewhere I can talk. Right. And um, they were like, you have been chosen as a contestant on season five. And I, I'm like, wait, what? And I only had a month to turn this around. Now, I have a catering company. Right. You have to leave your business. Right. Right. And your family. Right. Because you have a husband and a stepson, right? Right. Right. So um, I was like, okay, and I couldn't tell anybody and everything was, you know, secretive. And so I was also at the time doing some some catering, some private chefing in the Bahamas. So mm-hmm. I told people, look, I have this job in the Bahamas. And so it was perfectly plausible. Right. So they, they... Perfect cover. Right. So they're like, okay. And then I said, okay, I need all of you guys to do this, blah, 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 blah. And so it really... I had no expectations at whatsoever. And that's amazing. Now, one of the other things with, I, that I thought was interesting, because I've known you for so long, but I'm you know, reading all the materials that were sent to me, is that there's a line in your bio about this sort of impalpable fear while you were on Top Chef. Like yes. the stress was just unbearable. Yeah. Um, but that it spurred you to, instead of taking your classical training, but actually bring you to your childhood. Mm-hmm. So how was that? How did, you, how did you integrate that? And were you nervous about doing it? Or you're like, this is going to make me feel better? Um, was it back to the mac and cheese where you're like, this makes me feel good? Yes. It, was, it really was about... It made me feel good. So I talked to you about when I was in France and those Sunday lunches were like the Sunday suppers of my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so stressed when I was doing Top Chef that I had to just say, what, what makes me feel good? What is going to give me that quote unquote casual Friday feeling right. of not being stressed? Now, this turning point did not come until, until I was doing restaurant wars Mm -hmm. and I thought I was going to go home Mm -hmm. and I was standing there was it was between me and Radhika and um and I knew I did my food wasn't great and it it was just all over the place the ovens the wrong extract and my chocolate cake whatever (laughs) and um I remember looking at the judges and thinking no one has ever died here Mm -hmm. no one actually has died here like what is my worst fear death and so in that moment I'm like 
why am I afraid? I mean, my, my heart was beating out of my chest and mm-hmm. I, you know, like heart attack style. And I was just like, wait. And I remember just looking at the judges like, okay, you're people. And when I didn't go home, I said, okay, the, the thing that I, the worst thing that could have happened didn't happen and won't happen right. here. And I was free to do my food. And I said, I am going to do the food that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. I oftentimes would do food that I wanted to eat. I wanted to, I wanted to have a chicken pot pie. I made chicken pot pie when, you know, with the Jimmy Fallon episode. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do um, cookies. Or I wanted soup. I wanted um, apple wanted pie. Comfort. I wanted comfort food. Right. Which I totally get because that show, everybody's so chefy. Do you know what right. I mean? Like molecular, molecular gastronomy and like smoke. And but I'm totally mm-hmm. with you. I could see, especially being under that kind of stress, right. going that route. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I really want to talk about, um, well, I want to talk about you writing books. Okay. And how that became a part of your huge business model, <laughs> whether you like it or not. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night at the Line Hotel on Full Service Radio. I'm talking to Carla Hall, whose new book, Soul Food, is definitely one you should have uh, in your cooking repertoire. We'll be back in just a sec. everybody. It's Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel. I am sitting with Carla Hall. You know her from Top Chef, Top Chef All-Stars, The Chew, um, everywhere. She's everywhere. She has a terrific new cookbook out called Soul Food, Every Day and Celebration. Um, And we've been talking about her experience on Top Chef and actually sort of her trajectory of how she got there. Um, You wound up doing The Chew. Yes. You were on there for seven, seven years? Seven seasons and about 1,500 shows. Uh, that's amazing. So, that, yeah. I mean, when you talk about wanting to be an actress, there it is, right? Yeah. That was a steep learning curve. You know, I don't think people realize. So when you're on Top Chef and people say, oh, you've been on television before, doing a show where people are taking that, you. Top Chef isn't scripted. Right. Exactly. And this is, uh, the chew was unscripted, mm-hmm. but it's but interviewing, you like a, you're hosting, you write. An outline, right? You have an outline. Mm-hmm. You are also 
interviewing in a very short period of time. So you have five, six minute segments. And that was the hardest thing for me to get my head around. Right, because you have to cut people off. Right. You have to cut people off. Mm -hmm. And I, I had never been a host and I had to learn to be a host. And for the first two years, probably two and a half, almost three years for three seasons, I thought I was going to be fired. I thought that they were going to realize that they shouldn't have had me on. I'm a fraud. I know, right? The (laughs) imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And and I remember thinking, I I can't afford New York. And so I need to be able to move in 60 seconds or less. (laughs) 60 minutes anyway. And so... um, but it was it was an amazing experience, and I loved every single person. And it also had you doing really interesting things, weren't you? You've been in a couple Broadway shows. Yes, yes, I've been in um, Newsies. I was in. Uh, I did Mary Poppins. I did Cirque du Soleil. I did. Um, so, did they offer it to you? Did the Chew just say, okay, who wants to be in Cirque du Soleil? And you were like, me. Yes. Oh my god. Yes, because no. Um, Imagine that I didn't feel that I was being utilized in the studio. Mm -hmm. And so I said yes to everything outside of the studio. And uh, I was the one. They said, do you want to do it? Yes. Do you want to do it? Yes. And the other thing that was so genius about um, Gordon Elliott, our executive producer, he wanted to have an authentic experience for the audience. And Mm -hmm. so he came to us and said, what do you enjoy? I said, I love theater. I, I mean, I love race car driving. I got to be, get in a race car with A.J. Allmendinger. It, it was like, what do you want to do? And, and Michael Simon used to tease me because every time something would come, I'm like, oh, my God, I just always wanted to do that. He's like, really, Carla? Is there anything that you haven't really wanted to do? Right, right. right. He's like, seriously? But I did. I, I had a list of things that I wanted to do. And for me, it was like OPM, other people's money. Mm-hmm. This was that, other sure. people's experiences. And I was going to say yes to every single thing. If this thing ended, I would have taken advantage of every opportunity and um and you did and i did and the camaraderie among all of you it seemed legit you know really authentic i love them so much um you know clinton michael and i when it when it when it was just the three of us Mm -hmm. it was really special but it was always it always felt special with the five of us Mm -hmm. and um mario batali said i would have never chosen you all as roommates but, and yet here we are. And here we are. And mm-hmm. I love you so much. Um, Daphne, I remember Daphne coming in and saying, oh, I want to have seven babies. Woo! And she is so amazing. And she makes money. And how many babies did she have? She, she had three, a lot. But now she's pregnant. So oh, she's on her God fourth. Bless. And I, I, I just love her to pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, so we all, you know, keep in contact. And, and I love, 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 love uh, those guys. And I miss working with Clinton and Michael so much. I bet. Well, you were like a family. Yeah. So while you were on the chew, you did Carla's Comfort Foods. Yes, yes. And what was the impetus for that? The impetus was um, I had done my first book. Um, and after after doing that, Obama was coming into office. And mm-hmm. all of the, the backlash about people and their differences. And, you know, we, just be- we started to become very polarized mm-hmm. in this country. And I was just like, you know, I feel like that's more recent, but go ahead. I hear you. But no people, but they started talking about him, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I guess as, as a person who's black, he was attacked for a lot of things. Yes, he was. Um, where he was from, you know, all of this the stuff. The birther movement. All right. Insanity. Exactly. Sure. And so people really, yes. Yeah, so, um, I said, let me break down, you know, all of the, 
the things that people talk about. Your nose may be different from mine, your eyes, your religion, your sexual orientation. But at the end of the day, we're making food. So I took that idea and, and said, okay, if you're using spinach, how are you using spinach in, in your country? How mm-hmm. am I using spinach? You know, I took the idea, the first dish that I thought about was um, smothered chicken. Mm-hmm. So we smothered chicken with a white gravy, you know, in the South. But if you take out the, the milk and you add heavy cream and wine and maybe tarragon, you're in France. Right. If you add peppers Tom- or and tomatoes or right. Right. You know, you that's could why be I love this book so much. Yes. I mean, as you can see, it's incredibly dog-eared and splattered. I cook out of it all the time. It's a, a really usable yes. cookbook. And it is, there's a lot of great stories in there because basically, like you just said, all these dishes are related. Yes. Just yes. like we are. And then the spice chart. I tell people, if you want to understand how to use spices, get this book because I take, and, and it's very approachable and accessible ingredients. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get stuff that you need to go to the country to get or online. Right. You know, if you're in Iowa, you can find this stuff and there are 18 different cuisines. And if you know how to roast a chicken, you pick out a spice blend that you like and you can, and you can change, change your, it up. Yeah. Right. I think there are people, though, who are, uh, when it comes to cooking, um, that don't trust themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're so afraid to have some sort of ability to get creative because there's there is a fear right in cooking if you don't feel confident mm-hmm. you know in mixing spices or you know what if it doesn't work right right and, and i think you actually said something earlier that's really perfect what if it doesn't work it's not the end of the world it's not the end of the it's world it's just one bad meal yeah you know and usually most meals are fixable unless you burn it okay carla hall so food so uh. this is a really different kind of book because you did a tremendous amount of research Mm -hmm. for this book and you did some travel for this book as well. So let's, let's talk about how you came up with the concept and sort of your, your road trip. Um, the first two books was a two book deal and I really wanted to do a book that meant something to me. Otherwise I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't have to do another cookbook if it's not the book. Just for the record, cookbooks are a tremendous amount of work, tremendous amount of work, not a lot of ROI. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) No ROI, right. by the way. <laughs> you, you don't make any money out of this. It's, it's basically a very heavy business card. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, I, I know the book that I want to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a book on soul food. I mentioned this to my literary agent. She was like, ah. Now, wait, was this before or after, uh, what's it, Sweet Home Cafe? This was... Oh, this was after because it was all of that work that went into Sweet Home Cafe, mm-hmm. all of the work that... Which is in the African American Museum. Jerome Grant is the chef there. Yes. He is... He is amazing. 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 And so I am the culinary ambassador. Mm-hmm. So I was privy to the direction that before they even hired what Jerome... A, can I just say, though, what an honor. Oh, my gosh. I because mean, that museum is so spectacular. Are you kidding me? It's spectacular. I... I love telling people about the museum. Mm -hmm. I love, you know, focusing on, you know, all of the great work that they're doing. And and the cafe is is actually a living museum. Mm -hmm. And so Jessica Harris was the one who, Dr. Jessica B. Harris is is a culinary historian. Mm -hmm. And she was the one who came in with the idea to do these kiosks. Because I think when you think of soul food, you think of the South. You don't think of the Western Range. You don't think of the North. You know, of course, you may think of the Creole Coast, but I don't think you think of the impact that African Americans have had in so many other regions. Well, what 
I think is interesting that I read that you wrote is that the difference between soul food and Southern food is black people are cooking soul food. Yes. And that's the difference. But I personally, because I grew up outside New York City, I thought soul food came from Harlem. I thought it was, I thought it was a New York cuisine. Right. I didn't know it was, I had no idea it had any roots in the South. Ah, interesting. At all. I mean, that's because that's what I grew up with. I grew up going into the city and having soul food there. So I just thought it was part of the culture and cuisine in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Right. <laughs> and <I'm> wrong. <laughs> a lot of those people, I mean, they went to New York after the Great Market Migration, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of people from the islands who went straight to, to New York. Um, so let's back up. So mm-hmm. how did you plot your itinerary for this to do your research? I am from the South. Okay. So I wanted to go back through the South with that intention of looking at my food through a different lens mm-hmm. because so often we we grow up in a place and we're in it and of it we, we we're of it but we don't understand why we are the way that we are mm-hmm. so I started in South Carolina okay and then um I I said I only have 10 days and um for the I, whole trip for the whole trip okay I had 10 days mm-hmm. and by the way First of all, this was a book that my literary agent didn't want me to do right. because she said I was going to ostracize my fan base of white people. And I was like, dude. Okay, I, just for the record, I'm offended by that. Oh, I'm, I like, mean, I'm completely offended. But I mean, do you, um, do you say that to people who are Italian or, you know, Asian? And, and you know. Okay. I think there was another say to, way to say that. Do you know what I mean? She may not have said it that way, but, but I'm, you, I'm just, I, you're, I know. But like to me, I'm thinking I could see somebody looking at this book and saying, well, I don't know what self food is. So I'm a. I'm afraid to cook it, but they already trust you. Right. The trust has already been built. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no. So, so there's that. And then she didn't want us to go on this road trip because she said it was expensive because I wanted to go on it with Genevieve Coe, who's my co-author, mm-hmm. and Gabriele Stabile, who is the photographer. But, and the, fo- the photographs are phenomenal. I mean. Phenomenal. Right? Yes. Real. Everything is real. So we, we decide, I said, I'm doing this, even if I have to pay for my own pocket, pay out of my own pocket. And mm-hmm. by the way, this book, we didn't get a big advance, and, but that worked to my benefit because I said... I could pay this advance back. It's so small that mm-hmm. I am not commissioning my creativity. And so for me as a Taurus, the pressure of a big advance, I'm working for somebody else. Sure. This one, I'm like, I can pay it back. Mm-hmm. It, I, it literally was that little. Okay. So um, we go on this road trip. We started in um, Charleston, South Carolina. And then we go down to uh, with South Carolina, North Carolina, and then we're in Alabama, Mississippi. We finish in Nashville. And all the way, we are interviewing black cooks and farmers, and we're going to churches and barbershops and all of these places, basically, that I know is part of the black American experience. Mm-hmm. And we were working with another culinary historian Tanya Hopkins because I'm like I want to make sure that I don't miss anything and I need other people to be my eyes and to say what do I need Well, because you also don't need to reinvent the wheel I mean there has been a tremendous amount of research um you know of of what happened when uh, slaves were brought over from Africa or coming from the Caribbean and you know you can take that 
mm-hmm. and utilize it in your in your work. That's right. And the thing is, I also knew with this book, I'm not the first one to do this. And I said, what do I want to use my platform for? Mm-hmm. And I know that all of the work that a lot of these um, food historians are doing in the Black American in the, in the African American community, they don't they live in a world that's academia. Mm-hmm. And I want to spot. I want to shine the spotlight. And, and whether I want to accept it or not, or I'm in part of pop culture. Mm-hmm. I am part of pop culture. So I'm like, I want to, I want to, I want to reflect what you're doing over here what, with what I'm doing because it's really important. And so that was the big impetus for this book. And we met some of the most amazing people. And I wanted to highlight some chefs that people don't see all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I still connect with those people. Enrique Williams and BJ Dennis and um, John Hall. Oh, my gosh. Just, just amazing people and these farmers that I, I keep in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, it humbled me like nothing else I've ever done. Well, it's so amazing to hear that an experience like this, you know, can can bring forth a book. What I thought was really interesting is in the book you talk about sort of how uh, African slaves in the states and the South had to come up with cuisine. It's not mm-hmm. like food was just given to them, and then from they had to figure out from what they were cooking from where they were originally from mm-hmm. to what they were cooking with. Right, and then this created a whole new culture right it created a whole new culture it created something that because you know a lot of the slaves were cooks Mm -hmm. so it created cuisine for america right because they were cooking for white people right but what they were necessarily cooking for the white people isn't what they were cooking in their homes correct correct so how did you how did you take that and sort of bring it forward to today to, to fill the book with the recipes that are in here so one of the things, the intentions in my head was in talking to some of these people, sometimes what I did, I took a dish like shrimp and grits and I stripped it back to what it would have been when somebody from South Carolina was eating grits and it didn't have all that fat in it. It was mm-hmm. just straight up grits with water and a bay leaf. Mm-hmm. And they were getting that great shrimp, you know, they were fishing it themselves and it was just very clean. So you know, I was taking dishes like that and stripping them back based on the stories that I heard. Mm-hmm. I was also using the idea if my ancestors came over today from Nigeria and Ghana and the, the booby people from Bioko Island, how would they be eating? Because mm-hmm. there are some grains that we have access to today that we didn't have access to even five years ago. So I couldn't have done this book then. Right. Cause the ancient grains, like the aramanth, I mean, all those grains, yes. it's like they came out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> and they're amazing. They're amazing. And so cooking with sorghum and mm-hmm. millet. And so that's why those are in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm using, you know, black eyed peas and sweet potatoes. And I'm really want to get back to everyday foods because that's how Africans are still eating. And, and then but people think about soul food, like all of these heavy dishes. But those are the celebration dishes. Those are the things that we have, you know, for, for cookouts. Like weddings and Wedding. Sunday supper. Sunday supper. Mm-hmm. We have those, you know, at, at Christmas and Thanksgiving and, you know, um, family reunions. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just wanted to show that there is another side to our food that we as black people need to understand as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a big thing because we, we're stuck there and our food has become a caricature of itself. And I really want people and to... And why s- do you think that is? Because 
our restaurants were created based on who wanted to eat that food. Mm-hmm. It was economics. Got it. If I know white people like my food, hell, I'm going to make, make it towards their palate. Exactly. It's like it's like when it's like Chinese food, right? Yeah. There's American Chinese food and then there's real Chinese food. Right. There's sure. the red sauce Italian food. Italians don't eat lasagna every day. Every, but when you go to an Italian restaurant, right. it's front and center always, of right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. So what would you say for the uninitiated? Mm-hmm. What would you say are a couple of the recipes that you're like, yes, let's do that. One, one of the recipes that I love, one of my favorite recipes is the black eyed pea salad with hot sauce vinaigrette. Yum, that sounds so good. It is so light. It's so fast. You can make it with canned black eyed peas. Mm-hmm. But I did the hot sauce vinaigrette because this is the perfect recipe to go with the fried catfish. Oh, sure. You know. Right. Um, and there is... Um, well, and let the, me ask you a question uh-huh. quickly because we only have a couple minutes left. Where does hot sauce fit into the culture where did it did it start over in africa is it from the caribbean oh. where where is it they love chilies right? i mean all those chilies um and preserving and mm-hmm. they eat a lot of chilies in uh in africa the okay. food is really spicy mm-hmm. and then so over here we do hot sauce and pickles and and on the table at soul food restaurants you'd have that vinegar with the chili in it right you know, and that would be the vinegar that you'd have on your green. So hot sauce, hot sauce and yellow mustard on fish, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's definitely part of our culture. But it's, it's that it's preserving those chilies. Sure. Well, before we wrap up, can we just talk about Michelle Obama? Yes. I feel like I've been waiting the whole show. <laughs> Not that this hasn't been fascinating because it has. <laughs> but so you had the opportunity to interview Michelle Obama in Cleveland. I last did. Week. It was part of her book tour, her becoming book tour. And I want to tell you that I saw Michelle Obama and I'll, I'll make this a really quick story. I saw her in December in Brooklyn and I wanted to be one of the people who says, who goes on stage before she comes to the stage mm-hmm. says, I am becoming dot, 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 whatever that is. And uh, it was Art Smith who said, you should be one of those people. I'm like, I know. He said, find a date that you want to do it. And I'm looking at all these dates in these cities that would make sense for me. Nashville, I couldn't do. Atlanta, I couldn't do. The only date that I could do based on my schedule was Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And so two weeks before... Cleveland I said to my assistant have you have you called them it's, it's gonna be here have you called them and she was like oh shoot I forgot no she sends the email saying I want to be there they send an email back within two hours would you like to moderate oh my god two weeks before the show I had it on my calendar since December with a question mark on it wow that is the power of intention the setting intentions set, you know, yes word I of am, the day intention right yeah. so did you plan it? I planned it. They don't give you anything. You okay. have the book. They, they say, submit the questions within a week. And then, so, so I had a week. Right. And then um, figure out the arc. And Kristen Hartke helped mm-hmm. me. She's I, a, amazing. Amazing. I love her. She, she, she helped You can find her, her articles in the Washington Post. She's uh, a terrific writer. I am so grateful to have her on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for, oh my God. So I, I listened to the book. I made notes. I had questions. I send them to Kristen. She puts them in an order for me. I'm like, what? I never thought about that. Um, and then um, I had my questions there. And then when I got there, she was like, let's have fun. Okay, true story. Before we, before, before we, we go, oh my God, I tell me. I have so much I want to tell you. Uh, you know. um, it was it was incredible. Um, we were about to walk on stage. We are doing a toast with uh, water, and I said, "Oh, sucks now. I am drinking with Michelle Obama." Right. Okay, it was water, and um, and so she made a funny. A, she she chuckled, and it was funny. I had just sipped the water, and then I sprayed her. 
Because it wasn't water? From my mouth. No, oh. it was water. Okay. From my mouth onto her outfit. Oh. I am trying not to use the word spit. I am, I could not believe. And she was like, girl, get yourself together. And I couldn't stop laughing because I'm like, oh my God, I freaking. The moment. Uh. So then she was like, girl, get yourself together. It's time to go out. And her superpower is that she cares. Her empathy, her just realness. Mm-hmm. And she's down to earth and she just reeks of this and you feel so taken care of you know in her presence it was just it was just incredible it was amazing well i am um incredibly envious and uh so impressed i mean what a what a cherry on top right yeah yeah well i want to thank you i know how busy your schedule is thank you so much for joining us today are you doing any book signings or anything coming up here in the dc area yeah so today i'm going to be on i don't know when this airs but Mm. um i'm going to be at namak at the african-american museum right and i'm going to be at tabletop oh out uh, in tacoma in tacoma fabulous All right. Well, if you want to find Carla, you can always go to the list. Are you on it.com a shameless plug, but every time she's in the city, we make sure her events are up on the site. And if you have not checked out her new book, Carla Hall's Soul Food. It is time for you to do so. Of course, you can always look at her other books because I am a total fan of Carla's Comfort (laughs) Foods. But um, she is such a joy and brings such energy and excitement to everything she does. I'm sure we'll see her on doing lots of other things that she just finds herself swerving into at some point. (laughs) I want to thank you all for joining me today. This is Nikki Nellis on Industry Night, live at the Line Hotel on Full Service Radio. Next week, 305 Sadie Curzon is in studio. We're going to knock it out. Wow.